down to the library we're gonna have a blast we've got a book or two a tip or three it's the writing santa podcast you know them well you know they're true and we're so happy you're here grab some friends enjoy the weather it's who's at the writing center now let's ruffle those feathers Hello and welcome back to Who's at the Writing Center. I'm Elena. I'm Carissa. I'm Sarah. And I'm Kimberly. Arguments. We love to engage in them. We hate to hear them. And we definitely write lots of them. Whether you're writing a paper or preparing a debate, it's always helpful to know what kinds of techniques are used that will supplement your extensive lists of sources, obviously. We will primarily be basing off the definitions in this episode from Christopher Dwyer's 18 Common Logical Fallacies and Persuasion Techniques, as well as our own opinions and experiences with different techniques. So without further ado, let's start arguing. Disclaimer, for the purposes of our episode, we are exaggerating many different ideas to emphasize the fallacy mentioned. These beliefs are not reflective of who's at the Writing Center podcast or the SU Writing Center or Seattle University as a whole. The first technique we wanted to talk about is the ad hominem, um, which is kind of referred to as like sticking it to the man um, or the person. uh, And it refers to an attack on this person. Um, So for example, regarding their past personal traits uh, as a mean of undermining or opposing their argument without having to really provide any evidence. So it's kind of like a loaded question because that can invoke a similar effect, but basically, criticizing the person's past more than their argument necessarily um, as a way of like kind of attacking their argument or opinion in that instance. Do you have any thoughts? Um, Yeah, I guess this one like is very, um, very common, maybe I would say. Like, I just feel like this is kind of your usual, like, I'm right, you're wrong. situation I don't know what about you what are your thoughts yeah I don't know if I love this one for writing I know that like I use this a lot when I'm actually arguing (laughs) in person (laughs) with people um but I I, like I think it's hard in writing just because unless it's like used logically like oh in past writings so and so said this and like Mm -hmm. their current research says this so Mm -hmm. what's the truth so to speak but yeah, I know I use this one a lot, verbally. Definitely. <laughs> not so much in, like, the written word. <laughs> Just, like, with your pals. <laughs> Remember when you said this and you were wrong and it makes you kind of a bad person? Well, now your argument's invalid. Sorry, I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what a good thing to write an essay. <laughs> um, and for each of these arguments today, we are going to be role-playing a little bit. Get ready, listeners. (laughs) We're excited. You should get excited. (laughs) Um, So for every argument, there's just going to be a couple examples just to give you a little taste of um, each argument. So my example is, I personally believe that crunchy peanut butter is a superior type of peanut butter. Yeah, well, your opinion isn't valid because you don't use the bunny ears technique when tying your shoes. Burn. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Absolutely roasted. (laughs) 
Another fallacy is anecdotal evidence, and it's defined as personal experience. Anecdotes can be a very powerful tool of persuasion, but are a weak basis for an argument. We cannot generalize one person's experience to the population at large. Other people may have had very different experiences. If we account for many experiences, then we might be able to make some generalizations. Elena, have you used anecdotes before in an argument? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've used anecdotes. I feel like anecdotes are something that I use a lot and then have to kind of check myself with it because I think like it can be really easy in arguments to um, center your own experiences and be like, well, because this thing happened to me, like obviously that's that's the way it is. In terms of specific examples, honestly, the example that we're about to read for you is something that has happened to me. <laughs> Uh, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not anything too bad. But yeah, as I was coming up with the examples for this, for some reason, well, it was some, some are easier to exemplify than others. And I think anecdotal experience was just like, oh, I think we use that so often. Like you said, we center ourselves sort of in the narrative of whatever argument we're trying to say. Um, I also think that this is this sort of goes into credibility of like well I experienced it so therefore it's like true uh but you know um other people may have different anecdotes and can uh, clearly refute against it um but anyway so we have a fun little scenario to exemplify anecdotal evidence and go lights up all right the ultimate question cats or dogs To be honest, I think dogs are 10 times better than cats because one time when I was younger, a cat jumped at me and left me with a nasty scar. I didn't even do anything. It's funny you say that because one time when I was younger, a dog jumped at me and left me with a nasty scar for no reason. So clearly cats are superior. End scene. All right, so going to our next... um kind of argument is called the appeal to authority. So it would be wrong to think something is true just because an authority figure said it is. However, if it was an authority who is an expert in the field relevant to the issue, then it might be illogical to believe the opposite. Expert opinions are a strong source of credibility, given that these opinions are often based on empirical evidence. However, experts do not always agree when it comes to evaluating the evidence, and sometimes an expert makes a bold statement that lacks credibility because it lacks supportive evidence, in which case the appeal to authority would be a fallacy. Carissa, do you have any, any, any good thoughts on this one? I feel like this one is really common just in terms of research and um, I don't know why I'm always thinking about philosophy when I think of argumentative papers, but um, like the appeal to authority if I were writing a philosophy paper, I'd be like, well, Aristotle said this. And I feel like there's a lot of name dropping that happens in, in research papers, whether you know the name super well or not. So yeah, I think although like it makes a good point, it can be a little bit dangerous um, just because, you know, people are human, people are wrong sometimes. But yeah, I feel like this is, is a really common way to go it works if you can if you can drop a name and then they're credible and they've done their research then yeah I feel like this is a really a really strong one definitely and I feel like we're almost like taught to write this way in terms of arguments like we need that evidence and we need that like 
peer-reviewed source to back up our claim and to support our argument. And so this is definitely another quite common one. Um, our example for this argument. Whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Turning the lights on in my car? Why? Don't you know, my mom used to tell me that leaving the lights on in your car was illegal. And she's my mom, so she knows best. I'm unsure if this was <laughs> a credible source. <laughs> but to be fair, yes, all mothers ever. Still appealing to authority, so I guess it makes sense, but. <laughs> True. <laughs> Another fallacy is an appeal to emotion which is defined as aiming to manipulate, manipulate emotions or evoke an effective response in order to gain acceptance, as opposed to using logically compelling evidence. This can involve appeals to pity and compassion, um, which are among the most common forms of this argument. And I'm trying to think of a specific example because this has definitely been used. I feel like it's used when people are trying to like make themselves the victim in a situation. Yes. Um, yes. Even if like they were clearly in the wrong, <laughs> because it's a very easy way to just like flip the logic of the situation and be like, well, I was inconvenienced and like this ruined my day. Like, I guess an, a specific example would be like every <laughs> one of my friends is a barista and has had so many experiences with this where like people just completely, I guess, appeal to emotion if their like order is messed up or something. And it becomes all about how, like, they were having such a bad day and their day has now been ruined because of this coffee, which is just, like, such a minor thing, so. I hate to say it, but as a cancer, as a very emotional person, there, I can admit, I can, I can be held accountable uh, for times when I have made an appeal to emotion uh, because I was desperate and because I so wanted to be in the right. And I also wonder, obviously my, my astro astrological sign does not uh, justify the things that I've said, but uh, this is just so for, for my Zodiac homies. But I also think it's a learned trait if I am to respectfully call out my mother who I grew up watching and witnessing her appeal to emotions uh, in many different instances in order to get what she wants because not to feed into the stereotype, but my mother really did get everything that she wanted. And she was always more than happy to, <laughs> God, to like really pull out the cards whenever someone has like inconvenienced her or wronged her in some way. And um, I just think it's a, it's a very, it's <laughs> a parental instinct to be like, well, I am a parent. I have a child. You're not going to say no to me in front of my child and in front of my six-year-old uh, daughter. But um, yeah, I just, I want to point that out that like, I think in some cases it happens naturally to individuals. I think we want to like have the person understand where we're coming from in the context that we are entering the conversation with, but it also can be super harmful and super manipulative in some respects. So be careful about what kind of emotion you are trying to convey or what kind of, um, what the implications are when you begin to, when, when certain emotions arise uh, for you. So with that being said, we are going to go ahead and do another beautiful scenario written by yours truly. 
I'm sorry, friend, but unless you find a more formal outfit, I can't invite you to my party. <laughs> but you know how much I love my zip-off pants. They are a pair of jeans and shorts in one. <laughs> Those don't count. <laughs> and scene. Wonderful acting. My theater major is really coming through. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next uh, argument technique is the bandwagon argument. And it's essentially a, an appeal to popularity. So for example, it goes along the, the lines with uh, everyone else is doing it, so why don't you? Um, or most people believe X, so X must be true. Uh, the bandwagon argument is often based on common belief statements such as everyone knows that opposites attract. And, and that's a common adage that is not the case. These are generally weak uh, with respect to credibility, though, uh, as in that example. So, Sarah, thoughts? I feel like maybe, like you were saying, a lot of cliches might come underneath this argument style, like everyone, like opposite attract, or you know, other cliches. <laughs> Let me think of one. <laughs> Everybody um, wants to rule the world. Shorts, you know, pull out those song references. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also think it's hard to, especially when you're like first writing an argument or you're in the beginning stages or just kind of learning about argumentative writing, it's hard not to put cliches in there sometimes. Maybe that's why um, our, maybe that's because they're just so they're cliches for a reason. Some of them mm -hmm. are true, but I don't think it's potentially the strongest thing to put in an academic essay specifically. What about you? Yeah, I think um, in terms of like research, it's really hard. I think it depends on what you're writing about. But yeah, I do find this one really interesting just because I think not to go too big with it, but I mean, the example that we have kind of touches on this as well, but I think with like media and stuff, this is a big one. Um, Definitely. It's really easy to convince people. I think this is like one of the most convincing ones, just in the sense that like, no one wants to be left out of that. Um, and I know even myself sometimes like taking the route of like popular opinion is just like easier, safer, maybe on like a lesser scale, but um, yeah, I think this one's just common because it is so convincing um, and, and the media like helps social media, like news media helps with that as well. Just like broadcasting it in the sense of like, everyone's believing this, like we're claiming it as truth. So I think that's, that's also an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. Cause like, I really like that point because also, you choose who you follow, and who you follow probably all believes the same thing that you believe, and then probably believes in the same as each other. And so, it's definitely hard to get out of that like little bubble. Um, that's a really cool way to think about it. Um, our role playing for this for this argument. <laughs> hey, try this new coffee. I thought you said you hated coffee. Ugh. But it's all over TikTok. If I'm going to be famous, I have to keep up with the trends. Besides, if TikTokers like it, then it must be good. Another really 
interesting fallacy is uh, referred to as begging the question. This is based on circular reasoning, generally resulting from an individual taking a certain premise for granted. So in other words, um, it's kind of like you're going in circles with an argument. I actually had a couple, I actually had uh, trouble trying to understand this a little bit because it was very, it was very state of the factly kind of definition like I just you should just know what this means and I was like I really don't um but I guess it was defined I guess I don't know Elena if you have any input on this just because I really had to do I need to do extensive research on this one because I did not know what it meant I mean I feel like every argument my sister and I have could probably be classified as a circular like begging the question argument (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think it's just because it's like I feel like, at least for me and my sister, we both use the use this when we're like trying to avoid either talking about the actual reason why we like don't want to do a thing, uh, or yeah, like I think it's just an avoidance thing for us. So like, if I'm like, hey, can you walk the dog? She'll be like, no, I can't walk the dog because I already walked the dog. Like it's just like, it's not really giving a reason for why you should or shouldn't do the thing or like why you're correct in the argument. It's just kind of like inserting <laughs> the circular thing. Um, yeah, because it, it, it's like taking a certain premise for granted. It's like that premise might, ne- might not necessarily be related, but you make it sound like it is uh, <laughs> relevant in this conversation. Yeah, now that I now that you mentioned it, maybe it is like just like a sim- a sibling thing because we desperately want to not do something and try to reason uh, reasonably get out of it. Especially when you have a group of um, a large number of siblings, uh, you will desperately try and like not. It's kind of like you know nose goes like you don't <laughs> want to do it, and then the second like someone who doesn't want to do it gets the is the last person to touch their nose. It's like well I did it like this and like or you know my leg is sprained which you should take care of um anyway we're gonna go ahead and do our fun little scenario and though it may not come clearly across as to what like how it's being presented um just be mindful about the context of what we are saying and uh how you can find sort of the circular process in that so without further ado i will Go ahead and begin. Avatar is the greatest movie ever because it is the number one top grossing movie of all time. That is a true fact. You really like those blue people, huh? That second part was not necessary, but you see where... (laughs) I just needed person B to say something. Uh, But you see where in person A's statement that Avatar is the greatest movie ever because it's number one gross top grossing movie. Like it ignores the sort of context that the content that the movie actually has and is just saying that it's number one because it was the top grossing number. So it's like, it's you're being redundant in that sense and you have that circular motion. And I say this specifically about this certain fallacy just in case it wasn't clear to uh, those listening. So that's that. Um, all right, so our next one is called the black or white fallacy. Um, oh my gosh, do you? like black and white cookies? 
I think I know what is it like half chocolate and half sugar yeah wait have you ever had one it's like half chocolate like it literally looks like a circle and it's it's like half chocolate icing half vanilla icing it's like black or white black and white cookies you've ever had I've one? seen them but I don't know that I've ever had one Carissa, I know. Get on that. sorry I just really made it okay. yeah. <laughs> um so black or white fallacy um so this argument style is the provision of only two alternatives in an argument when there are more options available. That is numerous quote unquote shades of gray are also possible, but are not addressed. I do not like this one. <laughs> no, tell me why, no. tell me why. Um, I just feel like, how do I want to put this? I feel like it does not account for a lot. I feel like, it, first of all, it excludes a lot um, and just in terms of like the situation you use it in, I think that um, it's just not very productive in my opinion. I'm, I'm like in terms of like making your argument, it could be productive, but I think um, in terms of like leading towards a solution or a specific idea, um, it's not productive because it's, it's exclusionary to a lot of things. Um, I don't like the idea that even in writing that it has to be one way or the other, because I think that um, that's not very reflective of, of life and the humanity of the person who's writing it, um, which is something that I think is real. I find to be really important, especially even if it's an argumentative paper, like there's a person behind the argument. And I think that's worth considering. And I think trying to pose it as one or the other isn't always, it depends on the context, but I don't think it's always fair to writers or readers if you pose it that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like also just as a society, we might be like moving more towards this argument style, which is really frustrating because there's no leniency towards like the gray, I guess, and like the sense of black and white. And it's, very scary as well because obviously like you were saying it like our life is in the gray and the fact that there's just kind of two sides now is really spooky it's really scary yeah yeah us theology majors at Seattle University are very fond of uh, the third way oh yes the third way what is so that? this in terms of like <laughs> writing in theology it's you can't do it. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> impossible, but I, I understand the effectiveness, like, if you're trying to, to convince somebody of something. Um, it's just not my preference. We'll put it that way. Totally fair. All right, so here is our example for this one. You're either getting pulp in your juice or no juice at all. Come on, Carissa, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> what a good word <laughs> do you prefer your juice with pulp or no pulp you know I don't think I really care like I forgot what kind of orange juice my parents got when we were kids but I don't know what about you I think it depends on my mood but most of the time I don't care mm. depends I think on I, your mood I like that yeah <laughs> I think when I was little is more of like a bandwagon thing because my sisters did like pulp. Yes. That's gross. And my dad really liked it, but then I got older and I was like, it's just juice is juice, you know? Yeah, it's just a fruit in there. It's literally what, you know? Yeah. Makes no difference 
in liquid form. (laughs) Another fallacy is the burden of proof fallacy. So the definition for this one is when a claim is made and expected to be accepted because it hasn't been disproved or even adequately disputed. However, this doesn't mean that the claim is true, as this issue often rests on potential uncertainty. In such cases, it will require reflective judgment, uh, which is from a source, King and Kitchener, 1994. Apparently, apparently. Cited in beautiful APA style. (laughs) Um, I do have a bias, sorry. Do you have any any examples, any thoughts for this one, Kimberly? I, you know, I think I also, I feel like I think we all are guilty of using each fallacy one way or another. I think that a burden, the burden of proof fallacy, um, I think it, I think I probably have used it before. I think I have a way, I think my ego tells me I have a way of convincing others that what I say is true or that like it's very profound or um, it's so perfectly worded or poetically uttered in a way that it's like, oh yeah, people would believe me in what I say because of what, of how I present it. But I could be saying something so absurd. And um, I think there is a lot of risk and danger in that because then people are going to sort of look to you in, in, the, in, the, in the statements that you say, you know, people are gonna, when people start backing you up, and you have no way of proving what is what it is said that is true, then you're in deep trouble there. And I think that, um, I think we can not to go back, not to sound like a broken record, but we can go back to the parent example of, you know, parents will sometimes say certain things that you kind of are just convinced are true because they're your parent and they know better, which is also a different kind of fallacy, which I think will be referred to or is was referred I have to check again because I'm so jumbled. But it's it's also another fallacy to appeal to um, to have an authoritative figure say so, or um, because my mom said something when I was six years old, I believe that it's true, and she doesn't have to convince me otherwise. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. I, I don't know, Elena, if you also had anything on it. Um, my only thought was, <laughs> I think I've definitely used this. Uh, semi-ironically, but also like a little bit seriously when talking about like supernatural conspiracy theories, <laughs> because I think it is, it's kind of a fun fallacy to use because I think it is difficult for people to argue with it um, because it's kind of a non-argument as, as you will see in our example. But um, yeah, like definitely just when I'm like learning about spooky history and things with friends and we're like, Oh, like, what if it was haunted? And the one person is always like, ghosts aren't real. And we're like, are they? Like, prove it. Which isn't really an argument, but it's kind of a challenge that they can't really answer. Because how would you prove that? That's so interesting that you mentioned supernatural uh, occurrences. Because our example is, is, uh, is pertains to that sort of genre of things, if you will. <laughs> to genre genre I don't know why I try and like supplement my words with more words and I academia. think it also just comes it's to- academia baby <laughs> I know <laughs> oh man without further ado we're gonna we're gonna do a little scenario for you uh, uh portraying the burden of proof fallacy take it away Elena I think I saw a UFO I definitely saw a ship 
aliens aren't real. Can you prove they aren't? Guess not. And scene. That was beautiful. That was truly the acting in this and all of these. I'm incredible. Excited <laughs> uh, for everyone to listen to all of them one after another. Alrighty. So our next argument technique is called card stacking. And it's a method of argumentation in which important counter arguments are purposefully omitted uh, or left out, creating an imbalance of evidence to bias in the argument. Ah, <laughs> okay, so this one would be like, do, 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 do. if you only kind of argue one way and you don't think about the counter argument kind of thing? Yeah, or it kind of seems like you leave out information so, like, I guess if you overemphasize the emphasized the pros of something, um, and like didn't touch on the cons, um, gotcha. Yeah, is is what it sounds like, or just like being really um, sneaky or like skillful about the way that you address the counter arguments, where it's like, mm. oh, there's nothing bad about what I'm pitching to you, even though there potentially could be. I don't know I feel like I think I had a paper in like the UCOR philosophy and the professor asked us if we could like create an argument say the counter argument and then like prove the counter argument wrong or like that it's you know wasn't as strong as our argument and I definitely think that if you do that it makes your argument and just paper um stronger than if you were to just not say it at all or to leave it out. I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that that's a really important part of an argumentative paper or like an argument in general, because it's really hard to read something or listen to someone that's so dead set on their perspective. But I yeah, I think the ability to disprove a counter argument is so important because it's even more convincing, I feel like, than most of the um, techniques that we've talked about if you're able to say, I understand this other perspective, but here's why I'm still right sort of thing. I feel like there's a lot more um, like respect in that, <laughs> even if you, depending on how you choose to do it, <laughs> but there can be a lot of respect in, in uh, that, which I think, and just disproving through like logic and through reason and stuff is a really strong way to formulate your argument. and very very convincing so I feel like this one maybe maybe not overly convincing in an academic setting at least yes <laughs> <laughs> I agree <laughs> all right here here's our example for this one you ready I was so excited if you want a hotter bod, then take this diet pill. It's got chemical agents that burn fat in your body and give you awesome abs in just six days. But Carissa, what about all of the side effects? Don't worry about those. Don't you want awesome abs in just six days? Maybe not, maybe. <laughs> so our next 
fallacy ironically is referred to as the fallacy fallacy and this is defined as dismissing a claim which may be true altogether solely because it has been poorly argued e uh, an example illogical or with suspect evidence or because a fallacy was used in arguing its case now this one was also another tricky one for me because the redundancy really threw me off so i'm gonna pass it to my uh co-star elena selton uh, to go ahead and give their thoughts on the fallacy fallacy. Take it away, Elena. I feel like all of the examples that are coming to mind are just based off the examples we have here because like, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think one example I can think of is I had this conversation with a friend about like GMOs and yeah, like I think, I think what she was arguing was that GMOs are are good actually because or like are not a problem and I was like trying to like trying to make the argument that like no GMOs are a problem because they cause they like screw up other crops basically so but it was like she was disagreeing with it not because of of that she was disagreeing with it because like my argument wasn't very good <laughs> and um she it was kind of like we weren't really hearing each other as well so yeah, I don't even know what conclusion we came to with that because it's not like it was a super important argument either, but it was a lot of just like, I had kind of confusing reasoning for it and she was like, didn't know all of the, the GMO facts that I, <laughs> that I was bringing into it badly, but like, you know, so I, I guess that's my example of it is just, I think that's when there's like a disconnect between two people, like somebody may have an argument that's technically true, but like maybe they're saying it in an incorrect way or just not explaining themselves well. So the other person who already disagreed with that argument is like not hearing that. Yeah, thank you, Elena. No words were ever beautifully spoken than that. Um, <laughs> uh, I can't offer any more input than that. I think that was that was actually very eloquently said. Um, I'm so sorry if you hear me kind of rub my eye and spread germs all over. Uh, bad habit. I know. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> in that case, we are going to go ahead and give an example of the fallacy fallacy um, in, uh, and hope that you can also find connections because I think this is sort of a, I think as Elena had mentioned, it seems very common in different, in certain discourses, especially ones where like there are obviously very two distinguished parties and are trying so desperately to provide evidence. And um, I think there's just a lot of, the word of the day is implications. There's a lot of implications for that. Uh, and you wanna be mindful about it. So we're gonna go ahead and do a little eater again for the umpteenth time. <laughs> <clears throat> These vitamin gummies are vegan. Therefore, it's so much better than the artificial flavored ones. Just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's automatically better than the regular brand. You're wrong. It's just vegan for those who are vegan. And seen. All right. So our next argument style is called the false cause argument, or also known as correlation, not causation for all of you psych majors out there, all those stats people, those math people, those all people <laughs> refers to the assumption that because two things are related means that one causes the other. So for example, if 100% of murderers drink water, therefore drinking water causes people to kill. 
Carissa, thoughts, feelings? I feel like this is very, very common, very mm-hmm. convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, the exa- I feel like the examples we have are a little bit drastic. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I think like in terms of a smaller scale, mm-hmm. um, no one is getting harmed here. Uh, right. It can be convincing, especially if it's not exclusively like using numbers. Um, if it's just more of like logical, reasonable, reasonable mm-hmm. connections, I feel like it can be very convincing and hard to be like, mm, wait a moment. Um, but yeah, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, just kind of the same thing. I do remember I took like just an intro to psych class, and then also my stats class was always like correlation does not equal causation. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I feel like this is what I, I notice show up most in my life. Oh, yeah, like in your day-to-day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, but like oh, there's a lot of times in my mind where I'm like, correlation, not causation, just mm. like every day. <laughs> I don't know why. I like that reminder. <laughs> it's good to have, have stored away, you know, just in case. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need to whip it out. <laughs> whip it out. Like in this example... Here we go. Nice transition. <laughs> Every time I leave the party, it ends soon after. Therefore, I truly am the life of the party. It was one time and most of us were just tired. <laughs> I will say, though, in real life, Chris Lopez, 100% life of the party oh, ends you. after she leaves. <laughs> Okay, our next fallacy is called the gambler's fallacy. And the definition for this one is it's referring to the belief that streaks affect statistically independent phenomena. So basically, there is a one in two chance that a coin landing tails up. So based on this assessment, some might say that if heads come up on the first flip, then it seems likely that the coin will come up tails on the second flip. But this would be an incorrect assessment of probability because coins don't have a memory, so it's, it's not going to change. The same goes for roulette wheels. Every flip and every spin is new, and so it's not dictated by what happened previously. Thus, the probability of flipping a coin and getting tails eight times in a row is the very same as getting heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, etc. The conceptualization of the gambler's fallacy is quite like the represent- representativeness heuristic also cited from Kahneman, yes. 2011. Again, these are this is all from that one Psychology Today article. So love that, love that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Kimberly and I both play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, we do. We do. And the gambler's fallacy is alive and well. Uh, it's hard not to be when you're you're rolling dice and you're just really hoping. Like, so basically in D and D, if you get you can get a one to a twenty. If you get a one it's really bad if you get a 20 it's really good so if you keep getting ones then that's very bad luck but it doesn't mean that you're more likely to you know get a 20 on the next roll because you're like wow like I deserve this you know but I don't know Kimberly if you have more to add to that no I think uh while it is true that especially players will want will think that dice the the dice is going to be in their favor um unless you are notorious for having bad rules like a certain myself for an example um 
you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to exist in a world where we are dictated by a certain object that tells us, um, that dictates whether we are successful or a failure in a certain situation and you're a competitive person. Now for myself, I'm a very competitive person as we have found out in this group that Carissa and I are very competitive people. And I think there is a lot of situations where um, there are opportunities to be incredibly cocky and times where you get really upset and you think to yourself, well, if I keep losing a certain amount of times, I'm bound to get a win. Um, if you've ever played eight ball with any of your iPhone friend users, you will know that sometimes, sometimes you lose and hope that the next game that you play that your friend persistently tries to tell you uh, to do with them, you hope that you will win. Uh, and it takes a lot of, and I think it ignores, sorry, going back and going back and forth between my words. I think this fallacy sort of ignores what it means to like have skill in certain areas, but also like this is referring specifically about like coin tossing or roulette wheels or dice rolling for D&D nerds. I think there is a certain, where this applies to, there's a certain amount of like, just, <laughs> just uh, complete ignorance or surprise to whatever the object is going to be uh, a result of, or like whether it's going to be your heads or your tails. And I think there are other moments where you are actively trying to compete in an activity that uh, you just hope that your level of experience in a certain task will win, will give you a win or will, um, will continuously give you a win even after you've gotten a loss. It makes sense in my head to say those things. And I have Elena's head nodding to affirm me because a year of doing this kind of thing, you think I would, you think I would learn. <laughs> No, learn. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that being said, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead again for another round of two second theater with who is at the writing center podcast group. Take it away. Obviously, I lost this round of chess, which means I'm going to win the next one. Or maybe you should practice more. This is your third loss. Go ahead and put your plates, uh, place your bets down below in the comment section to see who would win in a round of chess, Elena or myself. Uh, let's just say I know how to play chess. Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> anyone who betted on me, I'm sorry, you've just lost. <laughs> the next argument technique is the middle ground fallacy. Um, and this is almost the exact opposite of the black or white fallacy. For example, when two alternatives are proposed, um, generally one on each extreme end, the middle ground fallacy incorrectly supposes that the truth must rest somewhere in the middle or like in the shade of gray. Uh, however, it could very well be the case that the truth rests in one of the two extremes. I think this is really funny. I don't, I don't know if I've ever... <laughs> this is a funny one. <laughs> I've ever really had a problem with this one. The fact that someone is so set on the middle ground instead of the extremes, I think is the opposite of what we usually deal with. And so, I don't know, it's kind of funny. What do you, <laughs> what do you think? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you because this is how I think a lot of the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I tend to be a very non-confrontational person. Um, I'm the middle child. So there we go. There we go. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of the way that I think or like approach an argument or conflict is very like compromise in the middle I mean obviously it's different if I'm like typing away like I'm right everyone else is wrong then I can take an extreme end but I feel um I feel I feel kind of weird because this is like where my brain immediately goes um even when I'm wrong so moving into our example for this middle ground fallacy Carissa's favorite um I think lying is never acceptable. Honesty is the best policy. Well, I believe that lying is okay whenever you feel that you need or want to. You can't tell me you've never lied before. Hmm. Then I suppose it is okay to lie sometimes. Moving the goalposts. That is another fallacy that refers to adding related propositions with just enough content altered to continue an argument in order to avoid conceding after the initial claim had been successfully counter-argued. Similar argument types that fall under this umbrella of fallacies include special pleading and no true Scotsman, which I do not believe is mentioned in this episode, but go feel free again to look it up and see the similarities between the two. Um, Moving the goalposts. Now, I think... I don't think I've encountered this one as much, but I think it definitely is a tactic for younger audiences when it comes to trying to prove yourself, uh, trying to prove yourself um, worthy to a certain, to appeal to a certain group that you are, uh, to earn someone's approval. And I say this specifically when, I don't know if this has happened to you, Elena, but when I was in elementary school, and uh, the teacher would ask to like carry something heavy or like you would have to like put up your chairs and stuff and uh, I living in a in a world where women are regarded as weak weaker beings had to prove myself often that I was strong and that I could put up my own chair and that I could put up two chairs if I wanted to and I think I was so consistently contested with that because of my identity as a woman and I think being a fifth grader that sucks and so like boys would be like okay if you can do that then like I dare you to like punch me or whatever beat someone up and I'm like I'm not gonna do that first of all and then all of a sudden they they take that as a an excuse to call you weak because you can't do this one other thing that they've suddenly like tasked you to do um that is just one mere example. Uh, Elena, I'm sure you may have also another one, but I'm just saying that this is, when I was reading this one and looking this one up, I think it's a very popular one among um, uh, younger people, but I also think it's still pretty applicable for audiences today or you know, our generation or whatnot. Um, but Elena, yeah, what do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I just had to share an example because yours is very, like, 
deep and relatable because yeah boys are awful in elementary school about that um and continuously but <laughs> uh this example which just occurred to me is just kind of wild um in fourth grade i had this friend who i don't know if she genuinely believed this but she was really intent on arguing that she could turn into a werewolf um <laughs> like <laughs> Like, with absolute seriousness, this eight-year-old girl would be like, I am a werewolf. And we were like, no, like, prove it. So I think she would use moving the goalpost because she would always be like, no, no, like, you have to wait until the full moon. And then, like, the full moon would come. I wish I was making this up. Like, it's 100% really true. <laughs> Eight-year-olds are wild. So, like, the full moon would come and be like, you what happened like you still didn't turn into a werewolf and she was like no no it only happens in like my dreams like the reasoning just got more and more like out there in order to make it so that we couldn't disprove that she couldn't turn into a werewolf and like I think we were unsure to be honest so I guess she succeeded in that I mean as an eight-year-old and someone claimed to be a werewolf I would maybe I would believe them <laughs> Um, oh, what was, I was going to ask a follow-up question about this situation. Please um, do. But I can't remember what it was because I was just so enthralled by this idea of, <laughs> oh, I was trying to say, what was that vine that was like in all, in all areas except, I in all ways except physical, I am a wolf, I yes, think. that one. Yeah, and then you I just like that owls. Yeah. I think that mm -hmm. was, I think that was your, uh, that friend, that, that person. Yeah. I don't know what happened to her. I hope she's thriving. Maybe <laughs> she is a werewolf. Maybe we were all just. <laughs> if you're out there listening to this it. podcast and you, uh, you know, Elena, um, I, I hope you're out there living your dreams and, uh, being a werewolf in those dreams, werewolf, apparently the best life. Um, I will, I will also add <laughs> that as a child, I also have an embarrassing, moment of like I'm super special and supernatural than all of the other you know seven year olds and eight year olds out there and I was convinced I was a bit of a anime nerd um and still am really uh as a child and I watched a lot of uh certain animes where they would portray uh ninjas uh to have heightened abilities and senses and when I would play with my cousins and my siblings all of my relatives I was convinced that I was a ninja and I was convinced that I could, um, whenever we would play tag, I would like very dramatically close my eyes and like try to sense. That's incredible. <laughs> I would try and sense where they were and try to like touch them or like tag them. But obviously I don't have, I don't know why I had to show you that I could close my eyes, but I. <laughs> the demonstration I just, was great. I needed to, yes, I needed to demonstrate. I needed to demonstrate that I was, uh, I do have heightened abilities and that for some reason, uh, the, uh, the genes that I have in my body were very drastically different than my sister and my brother. Um, I just got the great ones, you know, and I remember being convinced of, uh, doing that. And I think I probably, uh, did it in school in the playground. Like that, that was, I was that weird kid that was like, look at me I'm really cool and special and look at all the cool things I can do but like oh, oh oh like it's not working today because like my I've not like uh done some meditation or some like sort of training that 
an eight or seven year old your secret book training (laughs) (laughs) i didn't go to the mountains and like (laughs) uh live in a year of solitude no um yeah so with that being said we're gonna go ahead and do a little example about moving the goalposts and hopefully you can find um also a uh a memory in yourself where you try to uh be a werewolf or be a ninja so I actually have psychic powers like in that's a raven I could prove it okay what's the weather going to be like mm, definitely sunny a few moments later it starts to rain um I thought you said it was going to be sunny that's not fair you asked me at the wrong time technically it was sunny for a little bit Okay, so our next argument is personal incredulity, and please forgive me if that is the wrong pronunciation, but this argument style refers to the dismissal of a claim by an individual due to a lack of understanding of either the claim itself or the supports for that claim. So for example, an individual's dismissal of evolution because they don't understand it. Oh my goodness, Carissa, this is the one. This is the one we've definitely all heard it. People getting very defensive or very shutting you down because they don't understand something that you're not say- you're saying. And it's frustrating because then they're just not asking you what you're talking about. They're not asking you to clarify. They're not asking you to define, but it's like, nope, that's actually wrong. <laughs> Your big words don't make any sense or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. There's nothing like an argument that gets so heated and you're like going at it finally for someone to be like, wait, just explain it one more time. And then you like explain it to them and they're like, oh my God, wait, yeah, like I totally agree. Why did we just waste our time? Why did yep. I get so worked up yep. when it was just like a misunderstanding mm-hmm. this whole time? Oh. And it's really frustrating too. I don't know if you get into this, but like just with older generations, like our parents or our grandparents, like if we use a specific word or like talk about something that they didn't grow up with. And like, I feel like they're almost embarrassed to ask for clarification for help because, you know, they're older than you and like quote unquote wiser, but like, you know, new things are happening every day. And just to learn from your children or grandchildren is okay but they don't think that so then they get very defensive and and not just parents and grandparents just you know anyone older than you totally fair but this is my parents favorite one (laughs) especially my dad I don't think he listens to the podcast so I can say that but yeah this is um definitely fun yeah it's it's a rough one. <laughs> it's a rough one. Our example for this argument style. Um, I think the moon landing was fake. There are pictures though. Yeah, and we also have Photoshop and green screens. There's no way we could have sent people beyond Earth. Come on. Okay, well, can I <laughs> can I interject? <laughs> can be built upon because if you don't understand the science behind sending someone to the moon then it would make sense. But if you were like just ultra conspiracy theorists, I feel like that's another argument to be had. (laughs) There are definitely a lot of conspiracy theories out there, but that doesn't mean that they're true necessarily. So the slippery slope argument is the next fallacy. 
So slippery slope argument is an argument that concludes that if an action is taken, other negative consequences will follow. For example, if event X were to occur, then event Y would eventually follow. Thus, we cannot allow event X to happen. This is pretty difficult to refute because it isn't possible for us to see into the future and guarantee that the subsequent event won't occur. Often after critically thinking about patterns uh, in human history, it may be that the subsequent event is likely to happen, in which case the slippery slope argument may not actually be illogical. However, such judgment depends on the context of the argument. Regardless, what makes the argument fallacious is that it avoids engaging the argument at hand. It adds a component that isn't really relevant to the initial argument. Furthermore, the added component is generally pretty emotionally loaded. For example, fear evoking. Do you have any, any thoughts? I feel like oh, college is a slippery slope argument. Um, I will say, yes, I do think college is a slippery slope. I think it's just a perpetual, <laughs> I think it was a perpetual like sort of series of events that it's like, if I don't do this and I'm not going to achieve this and I'm not going to achieve that. And then like, so on and so forth. I think because as college students, we're constantly thinking about the workplace post-grad. Um, I think there is a lot of slippery slope. And I think I am definitely guilty of a lot of these, of, of, of this kind of argument, even outside of college. I think earlier today, I had two my, of my siblings show me their grades and they um, don't have the best grades at the moment. And, and again, this is subjective. When I say don't have the best grades, I mean, it. they are on the border of failing according to their school's uh, sort of standards. And I had this whole sort of preachy moment to them because they are young and I was trying to like allude to like grades don't define you, but also we live in a world where they do define you and like the workplace and colleges are gonna look at your grades and they're going to be like, oh, this person is adequate enough to be a part of my institution or be a part of my, um, be a part of the college or the workplace. And people are going to, unfortunately, they're going to judge you and they're going to look at you. And so it is this moment that I was, I wasn't trying to scare them. I think I may have done that and I didn't mean to, but I think there was a moment of like, if you don't get good grades now and they're middle schoolers, if you don't get good grades now, you're, you're not going to be go into the like your uh you're not going to achieve your ambitions that they want um because both of them are both interested in art school for different arts uh different art forms but I was like you know art school might still look at your grades and still think you know if this person's got a couple of failing grades and maybe they're not the one to be in our institution and I think that um I think we also just in general we live in a we live in a society where we feel that um, one event is directly going to uh, affect another and we're sort of we live on this timeline that if I, we don't achieve these things then um, the next big thing won't happen for us but uh, Elena if you have anything to add as well I mean I think that pretty much sums it up um, yeah I feel like this argument is made a lot when it's like you're overwhelmed whether it's because it's happening to you or it's happening to like your siblings are like somebody you care about and you maybe either want to scare them a little bit, even if it's like subconsciously. Um, I feel like this shows up a lot then. But yeah, that's that's my example. So we have another little skit. Hey, Kimberly, let's go to the party. It's Friday night. 
I can't. I have a huge test on Monday. And if I don't study all weekend, that means I'm going to fail this class, never graduate and never become successful. It's one test. Don't let it ruin your life. Insane. Um, just reiterating again that these are all exaggerated examples and do not directly reflect the uh, thoughts and beliefs of the who's at the writing center or the writing center in general uh, or Seattle University. We are acting. Our next argument technique is called the straw man fallacy. Um, and it's misrepresenting an argument to make it easier to attack. So for example, someone in opposition to your argument refutes it often irrelevantly by claiming that you're arguing in favor of something else. In this case, the something else, quote unquote, is the straw man and the opposition has purposefully built it in order to make it easier for them to refute your stance, even though the something else was never argued for in the first place. So simply put, a straw man is built so that it can be knocked down, but the straw man is not directly representative of your argument. Honestly, like when I listen, when I hear you talk about this one, I'm thinking more of like a debate almost. Mm -hmm. I think that's like almost how we were taught to, I also, I'm terrible at debating. I don't know if you knew this. (laughs) I just am very like hesitant and I get really anxious and whatever, but yes. So I feel like this, argument is really how we were taught to debate so like no matter if they say it or not just kind of blaming something else like completely beside like aside the argument um really like almost defeats your opponent even in some way just to kind of discredit them almost if that makes sense um and I think the example we have here if we want to read it really quick um does a really good job of showing that so if I were to tell Carissa that I'd rather go to the movies than go to dinner why do you hate socializing I don't though I just felt like watching the Avengers (laughs) so her kind of bringing me down (laughs) (laughs) accusing you of not wanting to talk to me exactly exactly um is a great I think that's a great example but what are your thoughts how do you feel about this this argument style yeah I feel like um similar to you what you said before uh it's like kind of how we were taught to debate um because I feel like maybe it's just the word refute but that is like a very debate term mm. um and, and the whole premise is like knocking someone else's argument down So yeah, I feel like it can also be kind of like correlated with jumping to conclusions, Um, especially in the example. It's like, oh, you don't want to talk to me. That's why you'd rather go to the movies. And it's like, no, there's always some reasoning behind that, you know? It's almost like also very insecure in that way that you just put it of like, oh, you don't want to do this. And it's like, no, I didn't say that. (laughs) Yeah. Very quick to to pounce, to judge. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's so good in debate, because then you can catch people off guard and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) They can't always defend themselves. So I guess if if you want to go into debate, I'm no expert (laughs) or anything, because I've I've lost every debate I've had to perform. (laughs) Me as well. (laughs) I mean, this seems like it could work. Do what I didn't and use this (laughs) in your debate. 
Love that. In every debate, I'm always just, I'm either really quiet, don't say anything, or I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me <laughs> step on your toes really quiet. Yeah. Let me back it up. <laughs> With that being said, we are going to go ahead and talk about our last fallacy mentioned for this episode. And I have failed to look up the pronunciation for this. Yeah, it's too quoque. Too quoque. Too quoque. Too quoque. Thank yep. you. Latin. Thank you, English major. Um, <laughs> tu quoque is translated from Latin as you too, or the argument of hypocrisy, refers to avoiding refutation or critique by reverting the same criticism back on the accuser without addressing the initial refutation. Re- refutation. That is a funny word. Another way of looking at this fallacy is as challenging a claim by asserting that the claimant's behavior is inconsistent with the conclusion they have drawn. In this context, it is a type of ad hominem that rejects a proposition based on the traits of the claimant. For example, in response to the claim that eating fast food is unhealthy, but I saw you eat a burger and fries for lunch only a few hours ago, is an example of tu quo qui. Wow. You learn something new every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I definitely use this with my roommates when we are accusing each other of not getting enough sleep. Uh, (laughs) Specifically, like, my roommate will be like, what time did you go to bed? And I'll be like, oh, like 2 a.m. And they'll be like, you need to sleep more. And I'll be like, do not be a hypocrite. Like, I know you were awake at like X amount of unreasonable time. Uh, and then it, it doesn't go anywhere because it's just two sleepless people calling each other out. So, welcome to the world of uh, college students and friendships uh, in college, <laughs> which is I care about you, but you need to stop doing this really bad habit. And then the other person saying, I really care about you, but you can't be a hypocrite and tell me to stop doing this bad habit because you are also instigator um, for doing this bad habit. And uh, it's really fun, but also, we should all get enough sleep. Let's make that clear. If we're gonna if we're gonna endure something, it's you should get eight hours ish of sleep. And that is also a two quote because I do not get enough sleep at all. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and <laughs> come on, Kimberly, let's do it. Oh god. Alina, you should really stop dabbing. It's so old fashioned. Kimberly, I saw you dabbing like a week ago, hypocrite. More like right now. Mm. <laughs> wow. Kimberly just dabbed. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I've stopped doing it. I've done more of a woe than a dab. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know Elena's disappointed in me, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like if I can also call out someone in the who's at the writing center podcast team, it's also Carissa. Let's be honest. She's also guilty of these things. We are what you call the TikTokers. Is that, is that a title that you wear with pride or? No, not at all. <laughs> Just painful self-awareness. I'm painfully aware that I spend too much time uh, on TikTok and I'm trying to keep up with all the latest trends and gestures that we have. Uh, and dances, but dances are a lot harder, you know? There's a lot of choreography and effort. And, you know, I'm, there's only so much that I can do as, a, as an influencer. <laughs> 
You heard it um, here. You heard it here first, folks. Kimberly's an influencer now. I'm, an influence. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bring back the hipster influencer. You know, where are the hipsters at? Okay, so while this list does not include all of the many different techniques out there, we hope that it will give you a sense of what to use and more so what to avoid so that you look credible. Be sure to check out our first episode of the Who's at the Writing Center podcast, where we talk about ADHD and neurodivergence with Ali Shaw. If you have episode ideas that you would like Who's at the Writing Center to do, fill out this Microsoft form, which will be in the description box down below or above depending on how you are listening to this episode. Additionally, check out our Writing Center blog for transcribed versions of episodes and for posts by our own Writing Center staff. Read posts like The Great Toni Morrison by Sabrina Kleinworth or Green Thumbs Are a Myth by Elena Selfen. And both of those wonderful people are on our podcast team now. Woo, woo, woo! Follow our social media at SU Writing Center on Instagram, Seattle U Writing Center on Facebook, and at Writing Center SU on Twitter. With that, stay safe, take care of one another, and this has been another episode of Who's at the Writing we are. We are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on down to the library. We're gonna have a blast. We've got a book or two, a tip or three. It's the Writing Santa podcast. You know them well. You know they're true. And we're so happy you're here. Grab some friends. Enjoy the weather. It's who's at the Writing Center. Now let's ruffle those feathers.